everything here is on the record, no matter how ridiculous <laughs> conversation. Sounds good to me. So let's, uh, before we get started, uh, who are you? I, uh, that's a very, very broad question. Right. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm AJ Wilcox, longtime online marketing guy. Um, fell in love with LinkedIn advertising here about four years ago and uh, I left my full-time position at a, a local technology company um, almost a year ago to start uh, uh, to start pursuing LinkedIn advertising full-time. So I started the first agency that I'm aware of that specializes just in LinkedIn advertising. Wow. So you're famous, the first LinkedIn agency. Y yeah. Famous is relative, but sure. <laughs> right. Um, and just as we're getting started, um, you can, can you hear me okay? Do I need to change levels or anything? I can hear you great. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, cool. So we're uh, so we're with AJ Wilcox. What's the name of your agency? B2Linked.com. B2Linked.com. So, uh, and I'm Paul Wicker from AdStage.io. We're not uh, wealthy enough yet to buy the .com. So let's <laughs> .io. We pretend like it's just very tech cool though. So it's you know it's tech. So we have .io. Who needs .com? So 2014. I, I think the I.O. is more expensive, so I, I'd say you guys are balling. Well, is it like $10 <laughs> versus $15 or something? I, I think it's like $50 a year versus 10 Shut So, wow. yeah, you guys are like 5X in it. Yeah, that's about right. That's about <laughs> right. Um, cool. So we're going to hop in and learn a little bit more about kind of AJ and the, the LinkedIn world. We'll also go through this week in ad tech, which is the uh, – what do I call it? The weekly newsletter we put out every Monday. Uh, so we'll share the link to it throughout kind of the podcast. And then if you ever want to sign up and get all the latest news that happens each week, you can do it there. Uh, and we'll just generally talk about nerdy PPC stuff. So let's get started. So uh, AJ, first off, you are, you're in Utah, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Right. State of Utah, about 20 minutes south of Salt Lake City. Why are there so many digital agencies in Utah? What's in the water? I have no idea, to be honest. Um, when I graduated from college, um, I, I joined a local agency uh, called SIBO Marketing. And, and then from there, I jumped to orangesoda.com. And so at the time, there was, there was orangesoda.com and there was seo.com, the two biggest agencies in the state. And they just pumped so many people through. Uh, junior people taught them all about online marketing. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'm seeing the same thing. Like our, our, um, our online marketing scene, uh, the local professional organization just put on a, a day long conference and you know, was like totally sold out. So yeah, something in the water with online marketing in Utah. Yeah. It's uh, and I didn't realize you were an orange soda alumni. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately I just heard that last week they folded or I guess it was two weeks ago. Wow. Uh, so bad for orange soda, but um, right. a strong group of alumni for sure. Right. Well, bad for the whole uh, Utah tech scene, apparently. They're the uh, breeding ground for the, the budding tech stars, um, which it actually reminds me. So I've been in my a few jobs ago. I worked with Orange Soda. Um, well, I, kinda, I guess we competed with Orange Soda. We were also an agency selling to like small businesses and we were hiring, you know, tons of younger people out of college and teaching them paid search and giving them like a list of things to do and saying, do this list. Do not deviate. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and so I spent a lot of time with those guys because we didn't really overlap in territory that much. Anyway, it was, uh, it was really hard to keep talent because you'd get these folks out of college, you know, 20% who are really smart would stay for like a year or two, learn, you know, the industry, learn PPC, and then they'd go get a job at like a, a top agency or, you know, go in-house and work for a client and make, you know, twice as much as they were making. And it became really challenging. Like, I think the thing that set apart the company I was at was really good at hiring and keeping people and then kind of promoting them at just the right time so they didn't leave. But like, that was more important than actually the paid search tactics. It was like, how do you oh, yeah. train people? Yeah, the, the paid search tactics are going to be relatively the same everywhere you go. Um, so it's, it's all about developing and keeping the talent. So I, I think you guys really nailed that one. I, I was one of those people who stuck around for a year and a half, saw my in-house gig and got out. And uh, yeah. And there's a lot that you lose when you leave an agency. Uh, when, when you leave an agency, you lose that tight mind share, the ability to have people who are passionate about the same subject you are to bounce ideas off of. Uh, I remember I used to go into Orange Soda and, and, and you know, 
every Friday morning go in and say, did you guys see the whiteboard Friday, the, the Rand Fishkin whiteboard Friday from SEO Moz back then? Um, and, and that was something that when I went in-house, I went, oh, no one cares about this stuff except for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can still say that, just no one's listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's funny. There's an agency in San Francisco called Metric Theory who I used to work with as well. And they, same thing in terms of like hiring, they got really good at hiring kind of that same model, but like a step up. So instead of doing like small businesses, they do, yeah, they probably have like four or 500 clients who are like medium sized businesses. Nice. But it's still, I mean, in the San Francisco tech market, it's impossible to keep really good um, folks on your team. So they got really good at like a training program where they prefer to take people with no experience who have like English degrees or journalism degrees or are just, you know, generally smart. And they put it through like this three month program where they don't manage like accounts. They're, they're teaching them their process. And when they spit out the other end, they're like pretty good marketers for three months. And they only plan on keeping them like in that role for one year. And then you move to like a different role and then you're expected to like probably leave and they like have new people to bring in. So, and they're doing great. I mean, they spun off of a different agency, started that one. And I think they're, like I said, they have, you know, 400 clients or something. That's cool. I, I love that. Uh, take someone who, uh, I mean, one way you can look at it is, is saying taking people who have no other prospects and, and so that they're kind of tied to you. But the other, I think, is, is giving. Is it because I said English major that you're yeah. saying no other prospects? <laughs> Journalists as well. No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, history degrees, I think, is where, where I'd put liberal right. arts. Um, I, I, I think it, it's giving people an opportunity. I mean, when you're in school and let's say history is like your thing and you just love uh, you love history, there isn't really a career prospect for you um, aside from becoming a history professor. And someone can correct me on that. But um, I, I think it's helping people get into the business sector where they actually can provide a living for their families, which I think is really cool. Right. Well, that's uh, so, you know, agencies saving the history uh, majors from being destitute. Uh, so you're benevolent. You're a benevolent leader. Uh, sorry, all actually, history majors. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think I was one of them. So uh, I'm not. <laughs> um, we'll talk a little bit about an agency. So like you started one and a little bit about like, when did you decide to start your own agency? Was it insane or, you know, was it super stressful? How was that whole process? Uh, that's a really good question. You know, um, I, I told myself probably three or four years ago that I would never work for another agency ever again. Um, agencies, are, they have their own brand of crazy going on. And, you know, aside from the whole mindshare piece that you have, that's so awesome for development. The flip side to that is you deal with, with clients, uh, who, Every single client is going to have a different um, interpretation of what success is. And so I would have clients in agencies that I was killing it for them, and they would constantly be saying, like, no, we need more. You're not doing enough. And then I'd have clients I was doing terrible for, and then for some reason they'd stick around. And, like, th this huge dichotomy, whereas when you go in-house, it it's this whole, like, you have one boss to please, one set of metrics, and usually the pay is more, which I, I really liked. Um, but you know, when I was uh, when I was at this local technology company, um, I was killing it on LinkedIn ads. And you know, I'm a longtime PPC guy, so you know, I come from the background of AdWords. But uh, no one was talking about LinkedIn. Uh, it's like the platform didn't even exist, and, and yet I was having all this crazy success with it. And so I, I for about six months, I was talking to. to my wife about it and, and basically trying to convince her that going without a salary was actually a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we built up some savings, built up a runway uh, because we're very conservative and uh, you know, eventually um, got the go ahead and, uh, and it was, it was really scary. Like I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, but not in the sector of risk. Um, and so it was a big jump for me, but starting an agency has been really, really fulfilling. And I mean, so no salary. I, first off, it's always funny that the uh, couples always make all these decisions together. So that's everyone I talk to runs an agency. Like, well, first I went home and talked to my husband or wife about, yep. you know, are you ready for this? I guess it's a, a standard entrepreneur story. Uh, but so you decided to take the jump. You took no salary, and now you're how like a year into it. And how is it going? Uh, it's going great. Uh, I've got you know I, I've managed. Um, the world's most sophisticated accounts. Um, I've had you know 45 plus accounts under my under my management, and uh, you know running 
one of the world's most sophisticated accounts for a long time is uh, is really good to understand the platform. But there are so many nuances that you don't understand. Um, different verticals, different types of offers, uh, that sort of thing that is so valuable. And that as running an agency, I've gotten to, to see all those. Uh, I get to see how healthcare responds on, on LinkedIn, how... Uh, how SaaS does, how recruiting, I mean, all these different verticals that I, I, you know, I probably wouldn't have had an opportunity and I don't think any other marketer has unless you're in an agency. Right. And being a P, I mean, you're a hardcore PPC guy that switched to LinkedIn. Uh, so, you know, talk a little bit more about the verticals that you see perform in LinkedIn compared to search. Yeah. So the ones that, that perform really, really well on LinkedIn are generally in two categories. They're either, uh, they're either SaaS software or their recruiting. Um, those two are almost always a huge success. Uh, and I, I think th the reason that I would say that is because in SaaS software, you know, on LinkedIn, the, the cost per click is usually between about six and eight dollars. Um, and so that is a more expensive click in quite a few verticals. Uh, so SaaS software gives you the ability to, um, to bring, uh, you know, to bring someone in um, that's going to continue paying for a long time. Uh, and it oftentimes has a higher ticket value, which you can recoup the premium cost of LinkedIn quite quite easily. Uh, if someone's a, a one-shot software sell, LinkedIn's not usually the best for it. Sometimes it works. Um, recruiting obviously works because LinkedIn was based off of recruiting, uh, right. but it's, it's extremely successful on the ad side. Um, so those are the two niches. Anything outside of that, I, I think you have to do in limited scope, right? Um, you, you have someone who wants to reach a very narrow niche of the population. Let's say it is someone with a very, very specific skill, then great. Uh, reach them in limited scope with advertising and have great results. If you ever try to, to mass target that, um, you're going to reach, uh, I'd say, irrelevant audience. Uh, and there were a few articles in this week in AdTech, actually. Uh, one was about um, geotargeting and kind of how, uh, so, you know, in AdWords, if I could remember, there's two different reports. There's like a geo report and then like a user location report. And if you compare the two, you can see how many people are uh, being targeted by your ads that actually live in the geo that you're targeting versus Google decides they're looking for, you know, that uh, service or product in the area, right? And I think, um, we all see this if you're on PPC campaigns, you have all these clicks coming from like Hong Kong or something like that because people are Googling like, you know, uh, best restaurants in New York because uh, they identify like New York City. So I used to work in the New York market. So New York City is like America, right? In, in uh -huh. some places to some people. So you get all this traffic of people with an intent in New York, but you're like, what's the chance you're gonna you know, go to a restaurant in New York City? Um, anyway, so like in AdWords, that's a very kind of PPC-ish thing. Um, to do is like to look at like where people are coming from and start slicing off some of those low converters. It sounds like in LinkedIn, you take the opposite approach of like start really narrow and really specific skills. So does that mean you're spending a ton of time like refining your campaign targeting for things like skills? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, essentially the way that I start out is totally based on someone's budget. If someone comes to me and they say, uh, I have a hundred K a month to spend, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take very, very narrow segments of the population and, uh, and build an entire account with 60 to 120 campaigns, all targeting different ways of looking at that population. Um, which not only brings you leads from your desired audience, but it's also going to tell you a lot about who that audience is. Um, so for instance, if I'm targeting the, the job title of marketing director at, uh, in the state of California, and I target the same marketing director in the state of New York, the difference between those two, I think, says a lot about culturally the differences between them. And so there's a lot you can learn about what type of con uh, content resonates with different people. Right. Um, and then, you know, you have me thinking about something else, which I don't know if this is the best question to ask you, but there's another article in, in our uh, blog this week about Gmail ads. So, and I posted this, you know, I saw Brian is in here to the uh, PPC chat um, conversation today about Gmail ads. Cause I had never run any Gmail ads cause they were like, you couldn't do it through Edwards and it, they just looked like I was pictured some guy at Google like who just built this own thing in some corners, like I'm running Gmail ads and they're always like terrible. And like, I, you know, they're just so weird, but they put a bit Edwards like in the, you know, in the standard Edwards interface now. Um, 
So I was thinking like email, does that appeal to a different client? Like if they're in their email and for some reason I was like, hmm, maybe like the LinkedIn audience would do well with, with Gmail ads. I don't know. Do you think this is a good idea or I'm just, this is crazy. Talk. I, I kind of do. So there are two different uh, Gmail tie-ins to AdWords. So number one, there there's uh, what is just basically AdSense, right? It's, it's Google's, uh, ad partners. And so you've been able to show ads just on the display network for a long time. And then there's also Gmail sponsored promotions, which is like in your promotions tab inside of Gmail. Which one of the two do you now have access to inside of AdWords? Well, that's a good question. I mean, what I was reading was uh, you were setting it up like a display ad where you were doing a placement, your placement targeting, you know, mail.google.com. Uh, yeah. So I know those are now in there. You can create a display campaign. You can create the creative through AdWords. I don't know about the the other side. So it, it used to be that Gmail sponsored promotions, and, and obviously we have some uh, more advanced advertisers in here um, on, on AdWords. Brian, I'm looking at you too. Uh, but if anyone wants to chime in and let us know if if sponsored promotions um, are available through the interface, or if it's still um, uh, if it's still like you have to sign an IO through your rep if it's still beta. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to know. But regardless, um, I, I do. I, I think that in your email is a great place for for a lot of business to business. Um, you know, I, I am very centric to one channel. I'm, I'm really a fan of, of LinkedIn, but um, I, I'll be the first marketer to advocate that you can't just be a one channel marketer. You can't. Uh, it's not about any one channel. It's not about our affinity for a, a channel. It's all about being in front of your prospect. And so, uh, you know, as a LinkedIn guy, I'll be the first one to say you should be on on LinkedIn. You should be on Facebook. You should be on Twitter. You should be on AdWords and Bing ads. You should be everywhere. And then you should be t retargeting through AdWords, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and you know, if if LinkedIn had a um, a retargeting service that I could get access to, uh, then I'd totally suggest them too. But uh, but it's all about being in front of the, the people at the right times. And email is a great way to do that. So you bring up a good point too. So I opened to see Brian. I don't know if you've ever done uh, this crazy thing called Blab, but if you want to hop in here, you can. Um, and you, you know, you're not in the middle of some meeting or something like that. Um, because I don't know either about the Gmail ads and it'd be interesting. And you could also, we could do like a AdWords versus uh, LinkedIn battle royale or something like that. Fight. Yeah. Um, so uh, what did you do? You were just talking about, oh, retargeting, right? So uh, one of the articles from this week in ad tech was about Facebook and the fact that people doing, well, let me get the, I'll get the numbers exactly right instead of making them up like I usually do. Uh, so marketing land, uh, basically republished a study by Adroll. And Adroll's study said, um, let's see, when adding Facebook to an existing display retargeting campaign, advertisers saw a 92% increase in impression reach, 9% drop in uh, CPM, and 20% decrease in CPC. And the overall kind of tenor of this of this study was people were doing a ton of retargeting on Facebook. And, you know, throughout the year, Facebook's been adding more and more inventory to retargeting via mobile um, and kind of, more and more retargeting advertisers are pushing inventory onto Facebook. And from that number, you could see that people who opt into Facebook are basically growing their impression reach by 100%. Um, so we know both Facebook and Twitter are big and pushing retargeting. What options are there for LinkedIn today for uh retargeting? Yeah, good question. So if you're if you're part of uh, of the 25k club, you're you're essentially a customer of of LinkedIn's marketing solutions, um, where they run the accounts for you. You have a managed team there. Um, then they have a, a product called LinkedIn Lead Accelerator, and LinkedIn Lead Accelerator is all about um, it's essentially managed retargeting where someone will sit down with you and say, okay, what content do you have and what stage of the funnel do those all concentrate on? And let's find a way to create the flow. So we bring people in through LinkedIn. We bring people th in through display that we know who they are and then continue to show them the right messages until they're ready to pop out the bottom of the funnel. Um, so, and that continues to be somewhat of a pricey option for most marketers. And so usually I'll concentrate on saying, um, look, the three big ones are, are AdWords, Facebook, and Twitter for retargeting. Um, but if you're a significant advertiser, then LinkedIn Lead Accelerator is probably a, a great, uh, a great idea. 
And do you personally, any of your clients use it? Do you have experience using it? Uh, yeah, I have two clients who, who currently use it. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's positive, especially like uh, a lot of marketing teams have a lack of experience on on retargeting or or going super deep into one special topic. Uh, it's really cool to have LinkedIn's Bizzo team to walk into your company and say, "Look, we have all the expertise here. We'll go, you know, we'll walk you through every step of retargeting." Uh, if you have a long term a long time AdWords person on staff, then you know they can probably do it almost as well um, and probably stay up with it better. So let's talk reporting real quick. We've got a few questions about, so you run an agency that's focused on LinkedIn. How much of your day are you generating kind of LinkedIn? Well, not how much of your day. How much focus do you have on reporting for just LinkedIn? Do you have to like mash in data from other networks or do you provide data to like their other agency doing paid search? How, how does reporting work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I am a fanatic about about attribution and, and analytics um, and, and it's really difficult using LinkedIn. I mean, you're talking about a platform that doesn't have conversion tracking built in. Um, and so it, it's very difficult to, to get those metrics. So before I would do a client call, it used to take me two hours to download all of my, all of my ad data, um, my classification sheet that I, I keep on stuff that feel free to ask me about if that's ever interesting. Uh, all of my analytics data and all of my Salesforce data. And I'd, I'd run pivot tables and, and VLOOKUPs to match them all up. And that was my reporting and it would take two hours. Um, recently, I, I bit the bullet and, and hired a developer to build me this really cool system that every night sucks in uh, all of those sources. And then just, I hit refresh, uh, you know, 10 minutes before a call. So if you would have asked me that, Two months ago, uh, I would say a significant portion of, of my focus goes to reporting, um, trying to show the value. Uh, now that I, I feel like I've got this system that um, delivers me exactly what I want, uh, it's, it's more my and my team's time uh, trying to interpret the reporting rather than just building it, which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you, do you have to give reports to the client? Obviously, you have to give reports to the client, but do you, are you giving like LinkedIn data? Do you curate it and give it back to them? Or you're mostly pulling data for your own needs? Uh, you know, I might be really dumb here. So sorry if my inexperience shows. Um, but what I do is I hand my client the raw pivot table and I teach them how to, how to interpret it. So uh, my pivot table for each customer. I will have a daily breakdown of everything. I'll have uh, a breakdown by audience. I'll have a breakdown by type of content, by uh, by intros, by headlines, by image. And, and those are kind of what I do. And so what I'll go through or my team is we'll go through every single one of those reports and find the things that stand out. And then I'll walk the client through it. So I don't have a pretty PDF that I can send someone, um, yeah. but I think the raw data is, is more useful to me. And so I hope it is, it's more useful to them. But maybe at some point someone's going to say, sorry, I can't read this. Like, give me something good. <laughs> hey, teach a man to fish, right? Yeah, so you yeah. are teaching folks to use pivot tables. That's a great idea. I mean, I'm sure it depends on the agency and the client mix. There's tons of folks who just you know look at a piece of paper for 10 seconds and that's their you know, analysis. So they probably need a pretty picture, but it sounds like you know, you're giving a much deeper analytics, which is awesome. Um, so let's stay on analytics for a little bit. There was, um, let's see if I know who did it. Uh, there was an article about CTR. So I saw this headline, I tweeted earlier actually, the headline was like debunking CTR, something about how it's actually a crappy metric. And I was like, whoa, I gotta read this. And then it went on to really talk about in-display advertising. Uh, where, and especially mobile banner display advertising, where you get a bunch of, you know, fat finger clicks. And so I was like, oh yeah, well then CTR is crap. Um, and it's, and it's amazing if you read about the display industry, how like the metrics are all still kind of smoke and mirrors. So there's, um, they're trying to build this general concept of viewability, which means you view X percentage of an ad for Y seconds. And the going kind of agreement is 50% of the ad is on the screen for, or 50% of the pixels of the ad are, is on the screen for a second. And that becomes kind of a view, um, which is at first I'm like, really, it doesn't seem like a view, but I guess you get into kind of the whole subliminal branding stuff and like maybe one second's enough for your brain to, to see it. Um, anyway, and that was also a marketing land article. That was just interesting, but it got me thinking about for LinkedIn, what metrics 
since they don't have native conversion tracking, what are like the metrics you look at to try to decide if something's performing well or when to optimize and how do you get conversion data? Oh, this is, I guess it's a self-serving question too. And how yeah. do you get conversion data for LinkedIn? Yeah, okay. Uh, so lots of different questions to handle here. Um, first of all, I think CTR is a very powerful metric for, uh, for optimizing LinkedIn. And the reason why is because you are getting to select exactly who your ideal audience is. And so if you know you're talking to your ideal audience, uh, the amount of engagement that each of your types of content, your offers bring in, I think does tell you a lot. Um, but at the same time, uh, when I very first started using LinkedIn, the only metric I had to optimize off of was click-through rate. So if I had uh, you know, this campaign and ad A had a higher click-through rate than ad B, I would say, great, ad A, this is our winner. I'm going to pause B and, re and you know, relaunch a new test. And uh, as soon as I started getting a little bit more sophisticated, I brought in leads. And, and of course, like when you're, when you're a B2B marketer, uh, you guys will all know where I'm going with this. Uh, lead doesn't tell you everything, right? Uh, some, someone who's filling out a contact us form is way more qualified than someone downloading a white paper that's kind of very, very general in topic. Um, and so, but I pulled in leads and all of a sudden my eyes were opened and I was looking at this going, okay, this ad has a high click-through rate, but the lowest conversion rate, okay? This one has the lowest click-through rate, but the highest conversion rate, okay? And, and uh, I eventually realized that there is zero correlation between click-through rate and conversion rate um, in, in that step. And so my data journey was essentially saying, okay, I've been making the wrong decisions for, for so long. Uh, now let me go a step further. So let me bring in Salesforce stage zeros, which is like an initial contact with, with a human on the sales team. And then let me look at stage ones and twos and closes and every stage of the way down the funnel, you get higher and higher correlation. And so I, this is a long explanation to why uh, why CTRs matter and at the same time don't matter. But I think I use them for different things. Uh, a CTR yeah. will tell me how interesting content is, and my CPL or or cost per opportunity is a much better metric to to tell me about how I'm doing for the business. And are there any? I mean, did you get any like global learnings from that? I mean, after looking at your CPLs, you know, uh, in context of how far down the funnel everyone was using like the Salesforce uh, kind of stages. I mean, you said there was like a, a high degree of correlation between the folks who are at the end of the funnel and CTR. Um, or is that what you said? I guess clarify. Uh, so if, if someone had a, uh, if someone had a high click-through rate, it told me nothing about how they were going to convert. But if okay, I had, so a, if I had a high initial form fill conversion rate, then that gave me, some degree of certainty towards how, how good of a stage zero they were going to be. And then it, stage zero would indicate to a more full degree how their stage one was going to be. And so um, further the further down the funnel you got, the higher correlation you get. Got it. Uh, so let's nerd out a little bit on LinkedIn then. So, I mean, you, you've been running LinkedIn ads probably as long as anyone. So what are some of these tactics that you use to get better performance on these ads once you knew what to start looking for? Yeah, good question. Uh, first Pro of all, tips here. Don't give me the easy stuff. Okay, all right. Just uh, toss me that softball and swing and hit it. Um, I, I would say my very first hint is you have to track. And uh, tracking is something really difficult for a lot of marketers because LinkedIn doesn't make it easy. You can't just install a pixel and go, cool, I have something to show my boss. It doesn't work that way. Um, and so uh, what I say is make sure all of your links are being tagged with, with if you're Google Analytics using um, the UTM parameters. And uh, there is one parameter that I'm going to write here in the chat, and it's UTM underscore content. This is the, the most overlooked UTM parameter out there. It's optional, um, but this is the content, this is the parameter you use to tag things at an ad level. So if on LinkedIn, if you only want to be able to track down to your audience, but not see which ads in that audience converted, then cool. Yeah, just go with the default. But if you want to track all the way down to the ad level and what I call even the ad element level, um, you need to be tagging, tagging every single ad uniquely um, on that UTM content parameter. Um, and then what I do is I go into, into AdWords, sorry, AdWords, analytics and create goals um, to, to make sure that my pages are going to show conversions. And that's how I bring in conversions. Um, simple as that. So first of all, you have to be tracking. Um, 
Second of all, it's really cliche to say you have to consider your audience. Uh, so I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say when you're talking about your audience, very first off, you need to segment them. You need to make sure that any data that comes from an audience tells you something about it. Um, you can't have one campaign that says, I want VPs of sales and marketing in the United States because when leads start coming in or or when they don't come in what do you blame or what do you what do you think is it the sales audience is it the, the marketing audience you just don't know break those into two separate campaigns so you do know exactly who it is you're talking to and you can customize messages accordingly um and I, I, probably, I, I, sorry i can probably come up with lots more but anyway go on no these i mean this is good you're a gold mine so we'll keep going i just want to throw in a quick comment uh, for folks who maybe don't know linkedin that well and maybe come from a search kind of background from my experience, it's kind of opposite in search. With search, you can start broad and refine. LinkedIn, it's often better to start narrow and uh, and then expand because the targeting is super detailed and it's super granular. And you can get very small audiences and you know you can see your reach and you can add things like degrees or skills or uh, companies people work for. Uh, so if, if you haven't checked out LinkedIn, uh, at all. It's worth like at least getting into their UI real quick and taking a look at the targeting options they have. It's similar to Facebook, but probably more granular in that you can get super detailed. And uh, the one thing about Facebook versus LinkedIn is, you know, LinkedIn is your resume for most people in this day and age. So it's extremely honest. Well, <laughs> it's not that honest. It's a resume, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's more honest than, a, you know, whatever Facebook figures out you like and don't like from your comments, your posts, what's in your profile, what you like, uh, which, you know, Facebook is still kind of divining what you like versus LinkedIn. You're pretty explicit between your skills and your interests and the school you went to, the company you work for. And sometimes those things are better targeting than kind of some of more of the questionable, you know, intent to buy a car or intent to buy whatever, something. Um, so anyway, so that's kind of a little bit of beginner-ish LinkedIn uh, 101. So if you go in, you create your campaigns, uh, but to AJ's point, well, and I should also say that LinkedIn only has campaigns. So if you're thinking, man, that's a lot of campaigns, it is because there's no ad group. Uh, rumor is there will be an ad group at some point with LinkedIn. So which will be awesome. Yeah, then it will join the rest of the world in, uh, in advertising structure. But uh, so number one, always be testing ABT. Uh, number two is uh, kind of slice finely so that you can really target specific uh, folks with the right message. Uh, do you have a rule number three? Or I, I, was just, three? I was just going to add that you're always be testing. Coffee's for testers. So <laughs> make sure you're, you're always testing, always be testing. Oh, um, nice. Can we tweet that? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. The, uh, we got to create a hashtag, right? I'll, I'll right. type that one in. Coffee's <laughs> for testers. Okay, sweet. The, the A-B testing crowd is going to love that one. Um, as for uh, as for other great tips, I, I think um, LinkedIn has two different ad units, and it's really important to understand the differences between them. Uh, number one, you have text ads, which have been around since 2008, and uh, uh, people are pretty much banner blind to them. Um, a really good click-through rate on a text ad is four clicks out of every 10,000 views. Uh, so much lower than even traditional display ads type of click-through rates. Um, and and they're, they're very small. They were modeled after Google AdWords, um, the, the, the AdWords text ads. So anyway, these are what you would consider insignificant. However, 100% of the traffic from them uh, comes from desktop devices. From, uh, so laptop, desktop, um, which is really good because if you have uh, an experience that is not, <coughs> excuse me, not mobile friendly, or it's not uh, uh, your experience needs a desktop, you know, a lot of input, then those are really the ads for you. And, and there is actually quite a bit of inventory. You can scale nicely as long as you have a pretty big audience. The other one, the more sexy ad unit is called the sponsored update. And this is your in-feed ad. Um, lots more real estate, lots bigger image. Um, you, you get... Well, 150 characters for an intro, 55 characters for a headline, and 155 characters for a description, and then an image that can be 800 pixels wide. And, and this is really cool because uh, you know your traditional AdWords advertiser is going to be used to a 25-character headline and 70-character ad line. Um, LinkedIn has 75 characters and a little 50 by 50 image, which is you know whatever. Um, 
it, it's 250 total pixels. You, you can't really. Are you just showing off now? Are you just showing off your math skills? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I can. That is not math I could do in my head. I, I prefigured that. So, <laughs> um, but essentially, when you look at sponsored updates, uh, the cost between the two, between a sponsored update click and a text ad click, is going to usually be in parity. So, uh, within 30 cents to a dollar of each other. From for the most part. And so you say to yourself, wow, I want this sponsored update that gets clicked on 10 to 14 times more. And, uh, but, and it's going to cost the same amount. It's more real estate. I can uh, give more of my message and it's quite relevant to content, which is great. Um, but be aware that 65 to 70% of the clicks that come from a sponsored update are going to be on mobile. So if your if your mobile experience sucks, uh, that will spend a lot of money really quickly and it will kill you. So, not quite literally. <laughs> that would be terrible. Bad yeah. performance. No. Yeah, you can see the headline, right? AJ Wilcox was found in his apartment due to <laughs> bad performance. Dead. Um, you, I'm actually jotting down a few things as you're talking. One was I didn't realize all text ad traffic is desktop. That's a, that's a good pro tip right there. Yeah. Um, number two, uh, rich media. So, you know, now... Uh, if, you, if you've seen on LinkedIn's kind of homepage, there's these large images. There's some people using video links or uh, presentation links. Have you played around with any of these other formats? No, I haven't. And I have a really good reason for it. Um, in LinkedIn's reporting, uh, rich, rich media, and I, I hope someone can prove me wrong on this. I hope this has been fixed. But it used to be that, that rich media, if you would do like a large image link, um, in your reporting, the the image name would show up instead of the headline, um, and I had a hard time getting my UTM parameters into one of those links for some reason. I'm trying to remember why. Uh, yeah. Well, the the images don't link, right? They create like a light box, you know, that pops up with the image. So there's no there's no link in the rich media, or at least in the large image. You can put it into your post text. It's like a Bitly, but then you have to be very kind of regimented about your, your UTMs. But. Exactly. And then you have to, like for my reporting, I would then have to take that bit.ly, convert it back to the original link so I could pull the UTM parameters out to link to the ad spend right. um, and link to results. So it's it's a problematic ad format for me, even though I would love to have a giant image that gets you know really high click-through rate. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't use them. Cool. And LinkedIn watches this uh, or listens to this podcast. Uh oh. Uh, they should listen to this part. Yeah, I've, look, I've told them the same thing too. I was like, uh, and I talked to uh, Sam over at Envision, who kind of accidentally ran a rich media ad. And I was like, hey, you ran one. And he's like, yeah. And then he clicked it and it you know, goes to just a picture of the image. And it's like, but it doesn't go to my website and you can't download the app. Uh, it, it kind of limits its usability there. But Totally. Um, so that was one question was about those new formats. The other is if someone's new and they're setting up a campaign for the first time, how do you have like a rough guideline on how big the audience should be when you first start yeah. for that group? Yeah, really good question. Um, when someone first starts out, I would say this depends on budget uh, because if, if you create two, uh, two small of audiences and you have a decent budget, um, you're not going to spend any of it and it's going to make you look bad. Uh, if you only create one or two audiences, um, or, or let's say you create multiple audiences and um, and it has the ability to spend like crazy and it takes you a month or two to, to get any learnings about you know any of those audiences. I, I think it has to be, all be kind of uh, taken in stride there. Um, but what I would say is if you have a small budget, I would start with one campaign. Uh, if you are serving all of, of, let's say, HR, I would create one campaign that is a very small segment. Say, let's say HR... VPs uh, in maybe even a certain location. And and I would test that. Uh, don't waste too much money while you're trying to figure out how, how audiences work. Um, and I would try to make sure that that audience is somewhere between about 20 and 50K in size. Uh, LinkedIn will tell you their recommendation is an audience size of 300,000. Uh, I will tell you that that's probably because it makes them a lot of money when you have an audience size that's big, but it's, it's not. Um, I've never had an audience size that big ever inform me of anything right okay so that's good good benchmark there and when you say kind of small budget large budget what are some of the typical budgets you're running kind of per campaign and then for like a whole account yeah good question uh i, I like to see about 1500 to 5000 run through any given audience before i say this rocks or this sucks or, or anywhere in between um over but, a month or just in general 
you know, in general, I, I just want to learn about that audience. Um, and so obviously the, the more, so here's what I've found. If I will talk to a client right up front and say, look, you have a small budget. Uh, you need to understand this right up front. I want to run this campaign until I achieve statistical significance. And I don't want to turn it off before we've achieved that. Uh, if you tell that someone, they're, they're like, yeah, I'm totally on board. But then um, three weeks later, they'll email you being like, hey, how's performance? And you're like, well, I told you right at the beginning. And they start to get skittish. So what I've found is uh, start with a healthy budget so that you can fully evaluate, evaluate the platform before executives start getting sick of waiting and right. want to know more. And it sounds like that budget is somewhere around fifteen hundred to five thousand dollars for. And you're just guessing you're probably going to run it for a week to get that. Obviously, it depends on the client and the industry and all that stuff. But yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I've got some clients who would spend that in two months, and I have some clients that would spend that in less than a day. Um, and so it just totally depends on on what your goals as a business are. So, and when you're setting up that first audience, you know, there's so many LinkedIn targeting options, right? There's probably like 20 different things you could target by. Yeah. Um, do you start with anything in particular? Uh, most marketers will tell you to start with the job title because we as, as marketers understand who it is we're speaking to uh, by title quite well. Um, I will tell you that job title is usually, because of that fact, the most competitive of them. Uh, LinkedIn has... I wouldn't call it a problem. I'd say it's a nuance of, of the way that the platform has to work is that not everyone has a job title that fits into a targetable uh, job title within LinkedIn ads. And so if you have people who, who have cutesy titles or, or titles like growth hacker that don't mean anything um, or at least don't signal any level of seniority or, or a job function there uh, it's, it's difficult um, to reach them that way. But when you still want to reach them, I have four ways that I, I, I tend to reach them. So number one, job title. Yeah, if, if you have the budget, um, test it to see how it works. Number two is a combination of job function and seniority. So in my HR example, I would say your job function is HR and your seniority is VP. You layer those two things on top of each other and you get an HR VP. Uh, number three is taking a skill um, that only someone in HR would have, something like an FMLA, like a Family Medical Leave Act, whatever that is, uh, or other types of skills that someone in HR would have, um, and then layer a, a VP seniority on top of that. And then, of course, you're going to be left with a VP of, of HR. And then finally, uh, targeting groups. I really like to tar target either HR groups or uh, HR groups with a, with a VP level seniority or just targeting VPs of of HR uh, groups. There are groups that will moderate and make sure that every member has a VP title. So um, I, I will use all four and I'll compare them against each other. If I find out that one has a lower cost per click and, and, and hence a lower cost per lead, then I know I can immediately just shut the other ones off. Perfect. So that's a great, great start for someone who maybe hasn't run campaigns before. I also hear people that do a lot of competitive targeting where they, you know, target either their own competitors or uh, just folks in the space that are similar. Have you tried any of that? I have, yeah. Um, when you target competitors, you're going to see really, really high click-through rates and no actions because <laughs> uh, they don't want their, their name tied to it, right? Um, I, I've run competitive stuff in the past. I, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's very effective at getting attention, uh, but my favorite aspect to it is excluding competitors. So with AdWords, you know exactly who every, everyone you're competing with is, right? You search your own keyword and you see the 15 people who are all showing up every time you hit refresh. Uh, but on LinkedIn, you have to fit that that persona in order to see the ad, and so it's uh, it, it's much harder to, to see who your competition is. But uh, if you're running heavy enough and hard enough, someone in your competitor's company will surface that ad, and they'll probably share it with their marketing team. Um, so what I'll do is, by default, um, I will exclude everyone's competitors. And what happens is these marketing departments really want to understand what their competitors are doing, but they are in the dark. They can't tell, no matter how heavy you're running, uh, they can't tell until one of their friends outside of the company shoots a link over to them or shoots a screenshot. Wow, that's very uh, covert of you. It is. It's, it's fun. I like being stealthy. Uh, and just so I'm thinking out loud here. So when I think of uh, company targeting, I mean, you're literally targeting the folks that work at the company. So it's not people who are interested in uh, Nike. It's 
the employees of Nike. Yes. Where I think some people treat it more like Facebook, where it's like, oh, I want people who are interested in the company of Nike. So I'll target, you know, Nike. Well, that's not the case. This is literally the, the employees. So I've seen it used for uh, hiring. So if you're trying to poach or if you're a hiring company, you know, uh, on ad stage on our platform, we have a few different folks who are in the uh, hiring and placement space and they know who, you know, has a reputation for having like good people, but maybe they're grumpy or there was some type of event at the company and now people are leaving. So that's where I've seen it used kind of really well. But yeah, outside of that, I guess it's better to exclude it. So they can't see your tactics. Yeah, I have a client who, uh, when Zynga was going through all of their crazy stuff with with media and and uh, and just the state of the company, uh, create a campaign around Zynga and say, "Hey, you know, any anyone looking for a job?" And of course, you're going to get like you're targeting Zynga. The people you get are going to be very Zynga focused. Right. I, I guess you get pretty creepy too. You could have like, "Hey, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> did you hear from Bob that the layoffs are happening next Friday? Come find a new job." <laughs> It's targeting just so specific in LinkedIn. You're, uh, you're almost targeting people. So you can get pretty creepy on LinkedIn. You can get down to a, a, an audience size of 1,000 to advertise. Um, Facebook, you can get quite a bit creepier. You can get down to, I think it's an audience size of 20. Um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but you can get straight creepy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't want to encourage people to get uh, straight creepy. But um, actually, speaking of straight creepy... There was um, an article, so in, the, in this week in ad tech, there's an article about millennials using ad block. So uh, I am not a millennial. I missed it by a few years, uh, as I don't not know many. if you happy or sad. But, um, and I don't use ad block, but this article says that there's two different studies. One said, I think, 36%, somewhere in the 30s. Another article said somewhere in the 60% range of folks use ad block uh, who are in uh, millennials are 18 to 34, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, anyway, so first question, do you use ad block? Uh, okay. So let me, let me preface this. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> okay. Breaking news. So back in college, uh, when I was deciding what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, um, I took a marketing class and I took, you know, this marketing class was basically just showing off all of the sexy, uh, commercials that you see like these are all the b2c brands the nikes the the volvos and you know all those i, I just used volvo as a sexy example that's pretty funny but whatever um you are from utah <laughs> <laughs> but you know i i saw all of these ads and went wow i, I want to do that for the rest of my life but i was like i also feel like marketing is really manipulative uh I kind of want to go into marketing just to understand how I'm being manipulated so I can combat that. So I'm a very rebellious person, uh, if you can't tell. And so that was part of the, the biggest reason why I went in, into marketing is I wanted to understand what marketers were trying to get me to do so I could stop doing it and like right. stick it to the man. Um, so a, a lot of my, my usage um, of like I've, I've used ad block for lots of years. Um, I turned it off because you know, when I started my own agency, I turned it off because it meant I couldn't see my, my own uh, clients ads. And I think that's important, but, um, but yeah, I, I definitely understand the value of ad block. Yeah. I mean, that's so thanks. That's a very like interesting uh, answer about the history of your ad block roots. <laughs> I'm curious, like if marketers have a higher or lower rate of using ad block, uh, more so because we're just exposed to all of the weeds of what's going on behind the scenes. And like, you know, it's somewhat exhausting mentally to think about all the, you know, targeting and uh, tracking that goes into it. I mean, another article we posted is the Facebook like button, which I think everybody's heard about at this point. But, you know, anywhere there's a like button on the Internet, which there's a lot of them, uh, can now track your movement across the web so Facebook can you know, really target super specifically in terms of uh, your activity across the web. But then I think Google, right? I mean, I use Chrome. I have an Android phone. I use Gmail. <laughs> I mean, they, I always joke, they know me way better than myself. So I can't wait till I'm like 80 years old and they have just some like searchable index of your life, right? They just plug into and you're like, oh, let me uh, mentally Google uh, what I was doing and September of 2015 and I'll have my Google location history and it will you know, cross reference with, you know, all the images. So I have an Android phone, which takes every photo I take 
and loads to the to the cloud. Apple does all this stuff too, you Android haters. Yep, it, it, it's a race. It's a race to data. And having a, a full online journal is something that both frightens me to death and gives me solace that at the end of my life, I can know where I took a vacation in 2007. Yeah. It's just funny how many marketers are torn about this topic where we're like, it's super cool tech and it's really interesting. And then at the same time, we feel conflicted. Like it's uh, super creepy. Like, I just hope I'm not that guy that's working at like... Uh, with some company everyone hates Monsanto. No offense to yeah. Monsanto. But like, you know, you watch those documentaries, you're like, how could they work there? Like, they're all evil. And then, you know, you watch something about the Facebook like button and you're like, wow, that sounds pretty evil too. How could Paul do that? Like, it's me. Well, we add Sage as a tracking pixel. Yeah. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> um, no. Uh, well, actually, it brings up a point that I wanted to make about Adblock, though. If, if you read the article, it's an eMarketer article and... The thing, so the reason millennials use it, at least according to this, is really for the really crappy uh, mobile ads. And those, the ads I hate most in, in life right now are those like fake stories. Like the, um, who do, Outbrain does a lot of them. You know, oh, yeah. like, we're like, oh, it's a news article about, and I think most people argue they're getting banner blind to them at this point, to use uh, the term used earlier, because you know it's not a real article about um, Rupert Murdoch giving you three secrets on why the economy is going to tank or you know, whatever that one is. Alan Greenspan, I think I've seen it for like five years now and I've like clicked on it three times. I'm like, stop. It's not a real article. Um, yeah, they're, they're bad. I, I think marketers are marketers are super wise now to basically the, the, the tactics that are being used and, you know, we're not falling for clickbait. I don't know. I, I can't speak for all of us. I, I refuse to click on something that's clickbaity. Um, but but eventually, I think the public's going to get sick of it, and that's when that's when adblock comes in, right? Like that's when people are so sick because marketers have run them ragged and annoyed the crap out of them. That's when adblock comes in to save the day, and us legitimate marketers we kind of lose, right? Like our really good ads are not reaching the right people anymore, right? And then usually, like it screws something up in your browser that you you want to see or want to use, and then you turn it off. Yeah, <laughs> or you exclude certain uh, like like I. Um, the deeper I got into marketing, the less I used Adblock because I'd say, oh, well, now I want to see what my competitors are doing. Now I want to see my retargeting ads. Now I want to uh, now I want to like navigate and, and find competition right. and all that kind of thing that, um, you know, you could leave Adblock on and go and whitelist certain pages. You could whitelist LinkedIn.com to see everything. But I think it's easier just to shut it off and be OK with what you see. Right. Uh, so I should mention, so we're going to wrap up soon, um, meaning now-ish. Um, <laughs> I should mention you did a great series of kind of, uh, I don't know if it was a white paper, articles, a bunch of stuff about uh, LinkedIn ads that people can uh, download and read kind of the basics on, not just basics, and advanced tactics. I think we have a link for it that maybe we'll throw up in the notes, um, the LinkedIn guide to advertising or something like that. So people should read that if they want to learn more about LinkedIn. For right. sure. I'll even see if I can drop it in, into the notes here. Uh, it's already there. We beat oh. you to it. Woo! So it's on your blog posts. Of course, it's bit.ly linked with some UTM so we could track the performance yes. of this blab. <laughs> I'm going to click it to see if there is a UTM content problem. Oh, there is. Oh, there's not a content. There's a campaign tag, and it's uh, the date in your name. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll so check I can it. see how well all the guests <laughs> perform from a uh, you know session, uh, new sessions, and, of course, goals rate. So we'll see how you do, AJ. We'll see how All you right. do. We might oh, talk to you again or <laughs> cut off for life. Yep, AJ is no longer invited to these parties. So we, Yes, you're out. Um, no, we'd love to have you back. We do this every Tuesday at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time uh, where we just talk about the PPC stuff. For folks who want to subscribe to the blog, I think we put the link in there 100 times. You can subscribe, get the latest news on what's happening in ad tech. And then we'll join on Tuesday and... Talk about it. And if you want to join one of these weeks, you could always just, um, I don't know, let me know on Twitter, I guess. I'm Wikipedia on Twitter. I think you can find me through Blab as well. So thank you, AJ. And, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, man. Okay. I may, I may get your props up over mine before we exit. Oh, you're such a nice guy. It's a hotel <laughs> upbringing, man. You're too nice. Now, now I have to fire back. Okay. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> oh, come on, Jenna. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining. All right. See you. And thanks, Paul, for the invite. You bet.